Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. So today, along with the rest of the world, uh, we turn our attention to Christmas, if you couldn't tell. It's Christmas! Yay! For those of you who have been counting down to the days to Christmas, it is here. I know some people who keep that Christmas calendar as soon as December 26th hits, they're counting down the days to the next Christmas. I am not one of those people. Uh, I tend to be more Charlie Brown from the Charlie Brown Christmas, if you are familiar with that tale. Uh, I'm not a fan of Christmas, and it's not that I don't enjoy the birth of my Savior. I very much enjoy the birth of Jesus. I'm not a fan of the commercialization that we have turned Christmas into. And so, if you notice, you're going to see a little bit of that come out in this snarky sermon series of ours that we're going to have. Uh, I'm going to uh, take this commercialization on mano e mano, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, um, and we're going to talk about what Christmas really means. Um, so, we hear this a lot, right? And, and you hear this a lot in, in Christian circles and, it, you know, all of the things. Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Hey, look, I'm not disagreeing with that. But church, we've got to do better. We've got to do better than just Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Because the reality is Jesus had a reason. There's a reason to his reason, right? If Jesus is the reason, there's a reason to that reason. So what was Jesus's reason for coming? Because yes, Jesus is the reason, but more importantly, the reason Jesus came should be our reason too, right? If we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, we've got to do what Jesus did. That's the whole point of being a disciple, right? That's why Jesus' disciples in the Gospels, they ask him, Teacher, how should we pray? Right? They follow him around to find out how does this teacher do life? How does he do these things? And then they did the same things he did. That's what we're supposed to do as, as disciples. So if Jesus came with a reason then we need to come to Christmas with a reason, right? And more than just Jesus, right? Hey, why do you celebrate Christmas? Jesus, cool. Why? Jesus came on mission, right? Jesus came on a mission at Christmas. That's what we celebrate. The fact that we have a God who did not stand far off, but who came down to us, who met us on our level. Jesus was sent by the Father for a very specific purpose, on a mission. And so this Christmas, we need to look at that. Let's look at Christmas differently this year. 
instead of getting pulled into the familiar story, look, I used to lead, be a worship leader. Many of you know that. It is incredible to me. People love Christmas carols, right? That's during Christmas season, I would always get blasted as a worship leader. We don't do enough Christmas carols. We should be doing Christmas carols. As soon as it's December, we need Christmas carols. As a worship leader, though, y'all, I've told some of you this before. Watch, watch. We did that first song, and people are lifting their hands, and people are worshiping, and people got their eyes closed. Then we go into Hark the Herald Angels, and everybody just shuts down. All of a sudden, you're thinking about the Christmas list and all of the things that you got to buy and the Amazon wish list for the grandkids. It, you, you can come at me all you want. It's true. The familiarity of Christmas, when we hit these Christmas carols and the nativity scenes and all of it, guys, it's become so familiar to us that we blank. We turn into these just walls. And it's like, oh yeah, Christmas, Jesus came to the earth. Hallelujah, Emmanuel, God with us. And we don't feel it anymore. We don't look deeper into the Christmas story to see, because guys, look, I'm not teaching anything groundbreaking here, right? This isn't Pastor Jeremy coming with this brand new teaching that if you analyze the Hebrew and all of the letters in the Gospels as they go down, it's an acronym for, that's not what this is. This is the Gospel, the same message that has been taught from the beginning of time. It's not new. But during Christmas, we have a tendency to and miss it. Where is the gospel in Christmas? Beyond the sentiment, beyond the gifts, beyond the feeling and the family, and all those things are great. But what is the mission of Christmas. So today, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to, we're going to start this. this as an introduction. The Christmas mission. Jesus came to this world on a mission. So we need to spend our Christmas on mission too. And hopefully well beyond our Christmas, right? What we start during this Christmas season, we need to continue on with the rest of our lives. If this is how Jesus came, then this is how we need to do it as well. So today we're going to look at this. Hey, look at this. Only two points today. Huh? Yeah, we're straying. But if you actually pay attention, it's actually four. But if I put four up there, everybody would be like, oh no, this is going to be like 60 minutes. Ah, like run for the doors. Y'all, everybody has to go to the bathroom all of a sudden. So just two points. Two points. First, his mission, our mission. And second, his focus our focus. If we are going to be disciples, we must do things his way. Amen? Amen. His thoughts must be our thoughts. His attitude must be our attitude. His mission must be our mission, and his focus must be our focus. Jesus must take center stage in all of life. That's what being a disciple is. So we need to get there. So the question is, are you going to let him take your Christmas too? Hmm? Or is your Christmas yours? We don't want that, right? Let's let Jesus take our Christmas and let's let him show us his mission. What is the mission of Christmas? 
And I think that there's a major theological point that we miss in this Christmas story. Again, because the Christmas story is so familiar to us. Now look, again, I'm not, this is nothing, I'm not going into these like deep unknown things. Guys, this is all stuff that we know, okay? So everything I say today is going to be stuff that we know. But what I'm asking you to do is don't forget it. Apply it during this Christmas season. Because the theological point that we miss during Christmas season is we see this baby Jesus in a manger. Oh, cute baby Jesus, right? And we think that this is the beginning of Jesus. This is where Jesus starts. Look at his humble beginnings, right? Look at him in the manger. But we know better than that. Jesus didn't begin existing at Christmas, correct? At Christmas, we don't celebrate the existence of Jesus. Look, Jesus was not, and now he is. Christmas. It's not what it is. We celebrate at Christmas Jesus, who existed at the beginning with the Father, putting on flesh and becoming human. Jesus existed before Christmas. Again, don't get caught up in all of the little Fisher-Price and Precious Moment figurines, right? Jesus existed. Jesus was the Word of God before the world was created. The Gospel of John lays this out for us when it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him. Not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And then skipping ahead to verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ did not start existing at Christmas time. He was there at the beginning with God. Christmas doesn't celebrate Jesus' existence. It celebrates that Jesus was sent to earth. Again, most of us know this, right? We know it, but do we know it? Is it in our heart? Is it an anchor that we hold on to? And does it dictate how we celebrate Christmas? Because what this passage means is that there was a cosmic conversation that took place between Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus came to earth, I, I would venture to say, in my theology, that this happened before the world was even created. Because here's real trippy for you. Before God created the world, God knew Adam and Eve would sin. So before God created the world, God knew that he would have to send his son to save this world that he was creating. Right? Because God knows all things, right? So a conversation took place. We actually saw this it last week. I love it when we get these bridge passages, right, that tie all the sermons together. It's amazing what happens when everything's rooted in the gospel. But we saw this last week when we talked in 2 Corinthians 8. We talked about Paul's anchor for generosity. How Paul anchors why you should be generous in the gospel. But Paul says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was 
rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What does that mean? That means that a conversation took place between Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. Where God said to Jesus, My son, this creation of ours is really going to goof things up. They're going to goof up so badly that the only way to restore creation to the way that we want it is for you to pay the price for them. So I need you to leave your throne in heaven. I need you to give up everything that you have here, your entire inheritance, and I need you to go to earth. And not as a king, and not to parents who are wealthy, and not born in a palace, not born as a popular preacher who can woo everyone to yourself, but I need you to go as a poor child whose parents aren't even able to afford the sacrifice required by our law to claim a firstborn child. You can go check out, if you want to check that out, check out Luke 2. Luke 2.24 tells that Jesus' parents offered two turtle doves. If you go back and read Leviticus, specifically Leviticus 12.8, Leviticus 12.8 says that for a woman, after she gives birth to her first child, to purify herself, she needs to offer a goat. And if you can't afford that, then it goes down this list. And at the bottom of that list is two turtle doves, two birds. Jesus' parents were so poor, they couldn't even afford to pay for this son that they had. Guys, the king of glory. And God said, Jesus... I need you to go become the poorest of the poor. The poorest of the poor. Though he was rich, right? And then it doesn't end there. Because then after that, you will minister, my son, to a people who will not listen to anything you say. To a people who claim to love me, but will reject you to a people who will despise you, who will abandon you, and ultimately, who will kill you. My son, you will obey me perfectly, and you will be sent to hell for these people. Your sacrifice, so that they can become rich, so that the ones responsible for nailing you to a cross so that the ones responsible for you bearing the entirety of the wrath of God, so that they can claim your inheritance that you gave up. Deal? Come on, y'all. Deal? Are you going to take that deal? It's the worst contract in the history of contracts, isn't it? I'm not signing that. But Jesus said yes. Jesus said yes, y'all. And why did Jesus say yes? Because Jesus knew, like what we talked about last week, this was God's will. 
And if God says this is his will, then Jesus knew that this was the best way. Not that this was a good way, not that this was an okay way, not that this was, you know, a kind of, you know, all right, everything's going to work out in the end. No, that this was the best way. And so Jesus said yes. He knew that no matter how much pain was in the offering, that God's perfect plan would be worth it. Do you believe that? We asked that question last week. I'm preaching wrong sermon. Wrong sermon. But do you see the mission? Do you see the mission that Jesus was asked to accomplish? Insert my dad joke here. Talk about mission impossible, right? Didn't Manny, I need you to can you give me a right? An impossible mission. And Jesus said, yes. Again, we know this. What's the most popular verse in the Bible? John 3.16, right? Got it at every sporting event. Somebody's up out there holding it up in a big sign. For God so loved the world that he what? Right? Jesus came on mission. Let's give this context. Look at what John says. Jesus says in John, If I told you earthly things and you do not believe me, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. You see that? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man, Jesus. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. I'm sorry, believes will have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. God so loved this world that he sent his son to save us. This is the mission. Jesus is the reason for the season, sure. But what was his reason? To save the world. But it doesn't end there, right? Because if this was Jesus' reason, if this was Jesus' mission, then it has to be ours as well. He tells us specifically, at the very end of John, the book of John, we see the resurrected Jesus meet with all of his disciples for the first time. And this is what he says. Peace be to you, just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. That means in the exact same way that Jesus went, we have to go too. A lot of times, y'all, we are getting further and further into a culture that's all about me, right? And unfortunately, when the gospel stops being centered on the gospel, 
when the gospel stops being centered on Jesus and starts to be centered on me, it becomes not the gospel. And it becomes this selfish grab for stuff, whatever that is. So Jesus came to save me. Jesus came to give me. Jesus came so that I, 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 you see it? No, false. Now look, did Jesus come to save you? Yes, but that can't be the center. Jesus is the center. Jesus came on mission to save the world, everyone. Which means that when you sign on that dotted line to follow him, you go on mission for him. And all of a sudden, your mission is to what? Save the world, right? That has to be our mission this Christmas. Yes, we celebrate Jesus. Yes, we thank God that he loved us so much that he sent his son, but it can't stop there. That's a selfish gospel. And we can't stop there, church. We have to pick up the mission that Jesus handed to us. God sent Jesus. Jesus sends us. That's a requirement of being a disciple of his. But we've got to be careful because we've got to make sure we get the focus right. We talked about this a lot of time with the Beatitudes, right? With the Beatitudes, we did a Beatitudes sermon series a couple months ago, and, and we, we talked very specifically with each Beatitude that there has to be an aim. Your aim has to be right on. When we walk with Jesus, our aim has to be right on. And the only way we get it right is if we let the Holy Spirit direct us. But Jesus' focus has to be our focus. The problem is, especially during the Christmas season, and when we, when we start talking about this, you know, the church on mission, and, and we've, you know, we've got to be on mission, and we've got to save the lost, we as human beings can turn that into a checklist, can't we? Confession time. I will confess openly to you all. I've confessed this to a lot of you before. I am terrible at this. Horrible at this. I am a task-oriented person, which means that when I get here on Sunday mornings, I've got a checklist of things that i got to make sure happen so that everything's ready to go when people come through this door. And if somebody comes early, you know what my first thought is? It is not, oh, yay, I have a prayer buddy. That's not my first thought. My first thought is, doggone it. i got stuff I need to do. I don't have time to talk to this person. But that's because my focus is off isn't it? You see where this is going? <laughs> Some of you are like, oh crap. Others of you are like, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this one. I got this, right? But you know, there is a focus that Jesus has. You know what Jesus never says in, at all in his ministry? Not one time does Jesus say, doggone it, people are here. Oh, now I got a minister. Jeez, Louise. Not once. You know, lots of people like to turn to these passages because we live in a very self-help culture, you know, self-care, you know, and so they always turn to the passages where like, see, look, Jesus went away to remote places to pray to the Father. See, self-care. You know what? Every single, fine, go, look it up. I, I dare you, challenge. That's your double dog there for this week. Go look it up. 
Every single time we are told in Scripture that Jesus goes away to remote places, do you know what happens while he's going away to remote places? He is bothered by people. He is interrupted by people. And not one time does Jesus say, Stop. I am heading into my war room and I need to pray. Close the door behind you, peasants. He doesn't say that. Every single time Jesus stops what he's doing and he sees the people. Jesus' focus is always the people and not the masses and not the crowds and not getting as many people to follow him as he can, but individual people. Jesus is so good at seeing every single person's face, at seeing every single person's need, and responding to them as individuals. So, Gospel House, I give you permission. Open permission. It's open season on Pastor Jeremy. You are allowed, if you see me sprinting through the hallways, ignoring people on Sundays, to say, Jeremy, people. And that will remind me, I got to slow down. Because guys, I want to be on mission like Jesus, which means my focus has to be his focus. Right? Look at this. I love this passage. This is from the book of Jonah. We're going Old Testament here. Right? Because look, I could comb through the Gospels and I could show you all of the times that Jesus responds to people. There are plenty of examples. But I love this passage from Jonah because it shows us this isn't just a Jesus thing. Right? Lots of times we like to, as Christians, have, can have a tendency to be like, you know, Old Testament God, evil and thunderbolts and smiting people. And then Jesus is soft and fluffy and come to me and I'll take care of you. Right? That's not how it is, though. Jesus is God, is the Holy Spirit. They are the same. Their character is the same. Perfectly one. So anything we say of Jesus is also true of God in the Old Testament. And anything we say of God in the Old Testament is also true of Jesus in the New Testament. Right? So in the Old Testament, we see this. Now, Jonah in... A flash for those of you who don't know the book of Jonah. Jonah is a prophet who is sent to the city of Nineveh. Some of you have seen the Veggie Tales version of this, right? He goes to Nineveh because the Ninevites are evil, evil people. And God says, I'm going to destroy this town. Jonah doesn't want to go. He gets swallowed by a whale. The whale takes him to Nineveh. He preaches anyway. And then we get here because Jonah preaches. And like any preacher in the world would love, his message is received 100%. The Ninevites tear their robes, dust in the airs, repent. Please don't bring this calamity upon us. We're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. And Jonah's ticked. Jonah gets ticked, y'all. Now, I've, I've heard some commentaries on this. There's Jewish commentaries that say Jonah was a prophet, Right? And so Jonah could see what was going to happen from here. This isn't biblical, so I'm just this is I'm posing this as a hypothetical. Just know it's hypothetical, not biblical. But there are a lot of Jewish scholars who say that Jonah could see because after this, y'all, you know what happens? The Ninevites repent and then they become great people, 
false. That's not what happens. The Ninevites repent, and then they severely persecute the Jews. They slaughter the Jewish people. So there are some people that think Jonah's ticked because he saw this. He saw what was going to happen. I don't know if that's what happened or not. All I know is that Jonah was a Jew. Jews didn't like Ninevites. He's mad because he says, God, I knew you would do this. This is why I didn't want to come. Because I knew I would get here and you love everybody. And that you'd forgive these people. These people have done horrible things to me. Horrible things to your people. And I knew that if I gave this to them, that they would repent and you would forgive them. What the heck, God? And this is what God says. Should I not also have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals? See, there you go. There's your theological proof. Maybe all dogs do go to heaven. I think God's concerned about the animals, too. Y'all, I can paint a pretty miserable picture today of the way that the church has approached the world, especially when it comes to politics and those kinds of things. When we look at an example like this, where God says, Jonah, I see the world. Jonah, I see what these evil people are doing. But it doesn't change how I feel about them. And it shouldn't change how you feel about them. God looked down on Nineveh, y'all, and he saw 120 faces. Guys, the God of the universe, he should be way, way beyond us, right? He should be so far above us, but he looked down. And y'all, when I look back and I can put myself in the place of those Ninevites, when I was lost, when I was in high school, and I was a scumbag of all scumbags, and I wanted nothing to do with God because I wanted to do my own thing, and I wanted to have fun, and I thought I could be cool and have all the things, right? We've all been there. And God looked down and he saw my face. When God sent Jesus, y'all, he saw my face. He saw your face. And he said, I am unchanged. Whatever you've done is not enough to turn God away from you. But it's, again, we can't make this selfish. That means that whatever anyone has done, it's not enough to turn God away. Jesus ministered to people. God ministered to people. Guys, when Jesus came, he didn't set up and establish programs, right? Okay, guys, now let's put these people in charge of the meal ministry, and they'll do the meal ministry, and then this is our local missions team. They're going to do our local missions. This is our regional missions team. They're going to handle that. And then these guys over here, that's not what Jesus did, is it? So why is that what the church today does? Now look, I get it. We need administration, right? We need, we need help in, when we get a lot of people and we're trying to do a bunch of things. But, but is that what we're doing? Is that the mission? 
Jesus said, hey church, go do a bunch of things. It's not, is it? The mission has always been people. Gospel House, our mission is people. It's got to be people. And during this Christmas season, especially during this Christmas season, it is so easy to lose sight of people, isn't it? We get so busy running around with our Christmas lists and shopping in the stores and making sure we get the last baby doll that our kids want for Christmas, right? That we forget to see people. We forget to look and see that that cash attendant, the person running the cash register at Target, is absolutely broken. As long as they can get my credit card through the machine man in five minutes or less, I really don't care. Right? Let's be honest. Jesus, I just don't have time to pray with them right now. Jesus, I just don't have time to ask them what's going on. Jesus always took time. And his focus needs to be our focus. There's this really interesting encounter that happens with Jesus. It happens with a blind man that has very interesting theological ramifications. I love theological ramifications, if you couldn't tell. But it's found in Mark 8. And there's this blind man who is in need of healing. And Jesus actually heals him twice. It says this, They came to Bethesda, and some people brought a man who was blind to Jesus and begged him to touch him. Taking the man who was blind by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting in his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? First of all, gross, right? But if that's what it takes to heal somebody, hey, go spit in some people's eyes. And he looked up and said, I see people, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again, Jesus laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Now, theological ramifications. What happened? Right? Jesus prays twice for this man. So the first time Jesus prayed, it wasn't good enough? Rewind. Which means that Jesus prayed an imperfect prayer? We know that can't be the case, right? Because Jesus was perfect in everything he did. He always obeyed the Father perfectly. So it can't be that. So what is it? And the issue is, I think there are two issues going on here. I vividly remember this. Vividly remember. This is one of like core memories. You guys, what's, what's that movie? Inside Out, yeah. Where you got core memories. This is a core memory of mine. Sitting in Panera, discipling with my father-in-law. This is one of the first lessons that he discipled me on. But we, we were talking about this story. Because there's, there's a teaching out there that, you know, if you don't heal somebody the first time, that you can pray for them again because maybe they'll get healed the second time. Because, see, look, Jesus did it, so we can do it. No, uh-uh. Because that means that Jesus' first prayer wasn't perfect. And, and we know that that can't be the case. So what my father-in-law told me was, 
The second time Jesus prayed for the man, he wasn't healing his sight. He was healing his focus. Mm. And that's where the ball drops. And we all feel that feeling in the pit of our stomach. That's Holy Spirit conviction if you've never felt it before, right? Y'all, I need healed of my focus because I can get so on mission when I'm going through life. I can get so focused on what it takes to run a church that I miss people. I see people. Look, I see y'all, right? You're right here. But you're like trees walking around in the background. I've got more important things to do. I've got to make sure all the iPads are turned off so that they don't run out of battery and all of the microphones get turned off and everything gets shut down properly. Right? It's wrong. I need Jesus to heal my focus. Anyone else? It's easy in the midst of the hustle and the bustle of Christmas to see people walking around like trees, isn't it? Where they just blend into the background and it just becomes a forest of moving parts. Nondescript people. Blank faces. But y'all... If Jesus were here, what would Jesus see? Jesus would see people. Jesus would see people who are hurting. He'd see people who are desperate, people who are hungry, people who are lonely, people who are hopeless. Y'all, if he would just heal us, we could see that too. And if we just saw, if we just stopped long enough to see people, we could show them that there is a hope that this world cannot offer. But we can't offer it if we don't see. Right? So, I need healed. I will stand before you as a church, everybody watching online. This can go viral for all I care. I need healed, y'all. My focus needs healed, and I need to see people. Now, I know a lot of you in this room, and I know a lot of you are better at this than I am. We've got a church that does so good at responding to people, at responding to needs. But are we always that good? And when Christmas hits, do we get pulled into the commercial of Christmas and lose sight of those people? So we're going to close a little different today. We're actually going to do the old school altar call. You guys remember altar calls? You ever been part of an altar call? An altar call is just this. And listen, listen. I typically I'm not a huge fan of altar calls. I don't I don't really love what they represent. There's like this mystical thing that happens with altar calls where it's like, well, if you come stand up here, the Holy Spirit can get you. But if you stay back there, it's like this row right here, 
the Holy Spirit can't go that far. And so if you're back there, you're safe. But if you come up, so that, I don't love that about altar calls. But in this case, we need an, I need an altar call. I don't care about all you, forget you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I need an altar call because what I need is I need to show God, not that the Holy Spirit is up here and not there. I need to show God, God, I am legit. I am legit seeking your healing. I need you to open my eyes and I need you to get me out of this task-oriented mindset that I so often get pulled into. And so if that's what you need, the worship team is going to play through this song, I would invite you to come up here and just stand at the front with me to just declare to God, God, this Christmas, I want to see people. God, I want to see people's faces. And I want you to show me how to respond to them. For you to show me how badly they're hurting. And what message of hope I can breathe into them from you. See their faces, church. Guys, I want, I want God, I want Him to do it in this in me, but I want Him to burn someone's face in my mind so that when I close my eyes to pray, that's the person. And I am locking my sights on them. And like a, like a hound when you're out hunting, right? When that hound gets that scent, you're not getting that dog off it, right? That's what I want to be. There's some old theologians used to call Jesus the hound of heaven, right? Because once he's on the scent, he's not going to stop until he gets you. But that's what I want Jesus to do with me, to give me a person. Who is that person for you? Who's that person that he is putting on your heart right now? Maybe you don't know a name, but maybe it's somebody that you're going to encounter in your week. Somebody at the store, or somebody you know, getting groceries or whatever it is. But who is that person? And when God shows you, y'all, don't stop. Get them to church. Disciple with them. Talk to them about Jesus. Man, even if you don't want to talk to them about Jesus, show them how much Jesus loves them. But let's be about people. So, if you want to see people, if you need healed of this, I would invite you to come up front, to come join me, and for us to ask God, just like he did this blind man, to heal us of our focus so that we can stop seeing people in the background and start seeing them the way God sees them. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.